It is very good to be home, such that it has been. I came home sick. I caught something on the plane, and uh, I'll talk about this a little bit in the report as well. I had some issues with my blood pressure while I was there that I'm still struggling with, and so I bear, beg you to bear with me a little bit. Uh, I pray that I'll be able to make it through this lesson today. I don't think there's going to be issues with that. But I am thankful to be home, and I'm grateful for your participation with me on this trip I'm returning from to Brazil. As we look at this text in Acts chapter 14, I can think of no better way than to share in this that you've been sharing with than to simply uh, talk to you about the grace of God that was with me on this trip, the things I got to be a part of by His grace and by your fellowship. I thank you so much for that. The brethren that I had contact with there also thank you and express their desire someday to get to know you. Some of them you may recognize, some of them you will know from things we've talked about. Some of you have had some interaction with some of these brethren already. But I want to thank you so much and thank God, of course, for allowing us to have this fellowship together. Uh, this is a little bit different of a lesson for me. I never really know how to do these, so I'm prayerful this will be encouraging for you. Of course, we want the focus to be on the Lord. This is His work that's going on. I don't want to bore you with all the details about landmass and population. Roughly the same amount of landmass as the United States and population about two-thirds the size. You can easily Wikipedia that if you like. Uh, but it's a very ripe field for the gospel, and although it's similar in size, it is not similar in terms of how many workers there are. So I beg you, as I always do when I come back from Brazil, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Those prayers are being met. There are uh, new harvesters going out. So thankful to say, I'll talk about a couple of those gentlemen in just a moment, but there's always a need for more. If any of you are interested in making these trips with me, I'd be glad to have you come along and just to see uh, what this work is all about. A couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to be with Joe Works down in Florida, and we were talking about the work in Brazil. He had lived there before I did. In fact, I moved to the town where he had been working. And both of us, sort of at the same time, came to the same conclusion, and we'd never talked about this before, but it feels like stepping into the book of Acts when you go to Brazil. You go into a town, and there's a person who is your contact, and he has gotten together 10 or 15 of his close relatives and friends, and they want you to come to their home and study with them. That happened over and over and over again. This particular trip wasn't exactly one of those. There were some opportunities similar to that, but I want to just talk about what we did get to find there. As far as we know, as far as we have fellowship with brethren in Brazil, certainly the Lord may have others. There are 28, about 28 local congregations. There may be one or two more that I'm not aware of not having lived there now for seven years, which is a really strange thing for me, to, for me to say at this point. There are 28 or so local congregations, the majority, as you might expect, in the very populous Sao Paulo. There are 11 congregations that I know of there and would have fellowship with. There are a scattering of others. The little star you see next to some of those there, like there are four stars next to the 11 from Sao Paulo, those would be representatives from Four congregations in Sao Paulo were at the carnival studies that I was a part of. And then those stars represent people from Ceará, way up in the north, from Paraíba, where Christopher was born. There was people from Bahia. There were people from Tocantins, from the Federal District of Brasilia, some from Goiânia, some from Rio de Janeiro, some from Paraná, uh, and some from Rio Grande do Sul. All these different states had representatives that were there for our studies in the carnival, uh, over the carnival period. We were in the state of Sao Paulo. That's roughly where we were. The, the city is so small it doesn't even show up on the map. So I just sort of uh, highlighted the area there. This little town of Jarinu. It's where Dennis Allen and his family live. 
There's a small congregation, Campolimpo, very nearby where they worship. Uh, but Dennis opens his huge uh, farm, not that huge. It's a, they would call it a chacra in Brazilian terms. It's a small farm, but he's got a barracks on there that he opens up and allows us to use for sleeping arrangements, and it's two-sided. So we have a male side and a female side. Uh, and we originally had over 100 people signed up to participate in this, which is a big deal in Brazil. Most of the congregations are five to 10 people. Uh, so when they get to get together in a hundred, <laughs> that's an amazing thing. About two days before the, the carnival studies were to begin, there were some contact. Uh, a, a good sister helped uh, a friend of hers taking their baby to the hospital. Turned out the baby had COVID, and so she had driven there. She had contact. She had been in contact with several others who in turn had been in contact with several others. Because of the closeness of this study, 12 people ended up being affected by that and not being able to come, including two of the teachers. <laughs> Uh, and so uh, she certainly did the right thing, but we had to be very strict about who was able to come on and the kind of contact protocols because COVID is still uh, fairly contagious even here, but uh, even more so there. And there were several people who were leaving from that study, some coming to the States, some going to other places. We just needed to keep that uh, diminished. So unfortunately, 96 people total came, still a great number, from 19 different congregations and representing really five countries, including myself from the United States. There were brethren in Portugal and in uh, uh, London and also in Chile, besides being in Brazil. Uh, so five countries represented. Those, of course, were online. We had an online participant as well, uh, participation as well with that. As you can see from our schedule, these were very intense days. In fact, the word intensive is on there. Uh, these were meant to be uh, four days where people are off work because of the carnival holiday. You don't want to be out if you're a Christian. You don't want to be out on the streets in Brazil during this time. Uh, carnival, the, the root word there is flesh, and it is a very fleshly time. Uh, where the Catholic Church has basically authorized do whatever you can to get your fleshly desires out before the Lenten period begins because then you have to abstain from everything. And so being a very Catholic country, that's what they do. So we've decided to make these studies where Christians can come together, have an escape, be together, and spend four days focused on the Lord and on His Word. And so they were very long days. We would begin at 8 in the morning. We were done by about 10 at night before lights out. Uh, we had very deep Bible studies. We had the opportunity to have all these people together for an opportunity they don't usually get. And so we were digging deep. Uh, and so on Saturday, Monday, and Tuesday, the actual holiday of Carnival, we were doing these studies. On Sunday, we allowed people either to go back to their local congregations or to meet with some in the area. Obviously, some had come from so far away, they couldn't meet with their local congregations. And so the, the congregation of Campo Lipa Paulista was very large that Sunday, and they had agreed to meet on the, the grounds there in Jarinu. So it was a wonderful opportunity for that congregation. Uh, in the mornings, we were studying the book of Isaiah. That is the entire book of Isaiah. We obviously did not study verse by verse. We worked on themes from the book and made application and encouraged people to go back and then restudy the book on their own in a, in a deeper way. Uh, but there were uh, about four to five hours of studies every morning in the book of Isaiah. Then we would break for lunch and come back for another three, three and a half hours of studies on Christ's church. There's a lot of brand new Christians, as you might expect. It's really a first generation kind of work, and they're trying to figure out how to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And there are a lot of questions that come up as you're doing that. And so we spent roughly six to seven hours a day in just intensive teaching. Uh, that's a lot of time. <laughs> and then we would have devotionals every morning and every evening. And then there were some really 
deep and, and needful uh, conversations with brethren who just don't have an opportunity to sit down with a stronger brother and talk. A lot of, they're all brand new converts in the same congregation trying to figure it out together and they have nobody really to sort of guide them. And so when they have an opportunity to be together with stronger brethren like the ones who are doing the teaching here mostly, uh, they would find opportunity and would set up time to come and sit and talk with us. And so it was really, really fruitful doing that as well. So very long days. I must admit, I think part of my, my health issues came from hardly sleeping at all, uh, which is a blessing, but at, uh, after a while it began to take a toll on me. Besides leaving here, the day I left, it snowed here. I went into summer there in the Southern Hemisphere, and so it was much warmer uh, there. In fact, in a moment you'll see where I went in Aracaju. It was actually really hot, very up near the equator. These are the men who were involved in the teaching of the classes there. There is one who's not present. He taught online because he had been in exposure to COVID. But from left to right, you'll see me up on the left uh, corner there. You've got Paulo Marquis, uh, a very well-respected brother from the Sao Paulo area. He's traveled all over Sao Paulo and done studies for years and years, longer than the, before the time I went there in 99. He was already full-time preaching. João Batista, who you may recognize, has actually preached here before, my wife's father who is in the interior of Sao Paulo and also well-respected and has done has lived all over Brazil and has taught all over Brazil. Dennis Allen, who's been in Brazil now for going on 30 years, I suppose, uh, and it was his farm that we used. Luis Costa, who I'll talk about in just a moment. I know him as Juninho, Junior, little guy. He is now an adult, so I guess I have to call him Luis. Uh, every time I call him Juninho, someone says, who? Who are you talking about? Juninho. No. Luis, okay. So I'll talk about him in just a moment. He's a good friend from the town where Christopher was born. Uh, Guilherme Gubert is the tall guy on the, the, the far left there. Uh, he's from down in Santa Catarina, uh, or Para, uh, Paraná in the south. We've known him for a long time as well, an excellent Bible teacher. We've got Tomás Guidali. I'll talk about him in just a moment. He's another one of the young men who is starting out full-time preaching there as a native uh, preacher, which is an amazing thing. It's, it's this second generation now of Christians coming up, a wonderful, wonderful young man. Uh, Ricardo Neves, one of my favorite teachers. He's a teacher by profession, a school teacher, and I could sit all day and listen to his lessons. He writes out word for word his lessons and reads them, but you'd never guess he was reading them. He sounds almost like a radio announcer, and they're very meaty, very, very good lessons. In fact, I've preached one of his lessons here, I, I forwarded before I preached it, about Joseph and Mary, the character of those two people. And his, his studies are amazing. He did a wonderful study on the roles of women uh, while we were there. He was also my bunk mate. I have a picture of him later where he's scared to death. He was sleeping on the bunk below me and was afraid it was going to break. So uh, we took what we thought might be his last picture. That'll show up in a moment. Uh, he thought it might be. I was, I was pretty confident. Uh, so next to him is Luan Lucas. We've known him and his family for a long time, a family of faithful brethren. One of his brothers, William, actually lives here now as a pharma uh, pharmaceutical uh, chemist, and he works in the Boston area where there's a, a huge contingent of Brazilians. Uh, hopefully someday you'll get to meet William, but Luan is a good, good young man and was uh, encouraged to be a part of the teaching this year. Ansandro is probably my best friend in Brazil. He's from the town also where, uh, where João, uh, where Christopher was born. He is Luis Juninho's older brother, and he and I uh, spent three solid years together in the time we lived in Paraíba, and he has become an excellent Bible teacher. I'm very, very encouraged and amazed. Uh, his family situation makes it difficult for him to become a full-time preacher. He has some special needs uh, children and needs to be back in Paraíba, but he's doing an excellent work there. And he travels a lot for work, and every time he travels, he's invited to preach wherever he's going to be. He's just an excellent, excellent teacher and a great resource in Brazil. 
So those were the men who were involved in the teaching primarily. Um, here are just some examples of what you find. Inside the farmhouse is a great big open area. We were able to put up a screen and use PowerPoints, and so several of us did our teaching there. Uh, you'll see, uh, they call me Carlone, that's Big Carl. I'm bigger than most Brazilians in many ways, and so I got that nickname right away. Most Brazilians have nicknames, uh, so they didn't think Carlinhos would fit, so that would be Little Carl. Uh, so I'm Big Carl there, uh, but that's very endearing. Uh, and you'll notice uh, a, a, in the middle right there is Evandro. I'll have some close-ups of him later. He's one that uh, many of us here know. We've had some dealings with him and had opportunity to, to serve him and to be encouraged by him as well. Just several of the, the men doing uh, the teaching there. But I want to talk about Tomas and his wife. That name looks different, but it's Stephanie. <laughs> That's how they spell Stephanie there. Uh, Stephanie, Tomas, and their uh, newborn, Conrado. Uh, Tomas has been a friend for, for many years. Uh, he has just finished a two-year preacher training uh, program with Dennis Allen in Sao Paulo. Dennis told me and then later told Tomas, I don't know that we can do this program anymore. You've spoiled us. <laughs> he turned out to be an amazing Bible student and an amazing Bible teacher, just an excellent, excellent uh, preacher. And he has uh, finished the two-year course. At about the end of his two years, he got married, and right away, Stephanie got pregnant. And so they allowed him to stay on an extra year with the congregation there. And in a moment, we'll see the other young man, young man they've brought in, who also has done very well. Uh, while I was there, they wanted to talk to an older preacher. I sort of took that with a grain of salt, but uh, they uh, sought out an older preacher for some advice as they're beginning their life and their family. Since I've known him since he was a little child and he's known my family and basically watched us raise our children, uh, I thought that was sort of flattering. And so I did sit down and have a pretty long talk with the two of them. They had really good questions. They're really being thoughtful about the work that they want to do and where they can be most effective. Uh, and so they, they specifically allotted some time just to sit down and talk with me about child rearing, but especially about the work of preaching and teaching and have uh, promised that to keep in touch. We'll continue talking through these things. In fact, we'll involve the whole family at some point to be able to talk through some of these. He did announce in that middle picture there where he sort of timidly got his hand on his mouth. He was trying to stifle some tears. He did announce that in June they are going to be moving from Campo Limpo where they've been for the last three years to begin working with a small, newer church in Goiania, in Goiás, the city, the city there, where another brother of ours, who you'll meet in a moment, Pedro, and his family are, and there are three or four other families, all brand new converts that are there. Uh, so Tomas and Stephanie and Conjado have agreed to go there. Goiás is fairly close, about four hours from Tomas's home uh, area in Brasilia, so there will be some, some support for him there, and he can go back and help that congregation that's there as well. So it's a good fit for them. Although there's going to be a lot of challenges right away that I'm not sure they're uh, as aware of as I happen to be because of some of the other conversations I had. There are some uh, difficult marital situations there that they're going to have to be dealing with fairly, often, fairly early on as a young couple. So I'm expecting to hear from them fairly soon uh, for some, some advice. Here is Luis Juninho. He is, along with his wife, Jessanie, and their youngest, Timacho, I thought I had a picture with the three of them. I couldn't find it. So, uh, but the, the Timacho was born the week before carnival studies, and he was there for a lot of those. Uh, so he wasn't uh, there all the time, so I didn't get as good of a picture. But he has turned out to be just an excellent young student as well. I have known Luis since he was seven. We moved to Paraíba, to João Pessoa, where Luis is from. He was a little bitty guy. 
And uh, we stayed in his home for the first month or so while we were looking for a house. And uh, it's his older brother, Sandra, who is my, my best friend there. Uh, and so I've just known him for a long, long time. And I was really amazed uh, when I first heard him teaching because when we left, he was only a little older than 10. He wasn't even a Christian yet. And so I just hadn't been around him very much and then had an opportunity to hear him teach. And he has turned out to be an amazing Bible student and teacher as well. Jessany was three when I began to do some intermittent work with a tiny, tiny town where she lives, Jekia, way in the interior of Bahia. It is such a small town that when I told my wife I'm excited about maybe moving there, she said, I don't know if I can live there. It's a really small town in the middle of nowhere. And so uh, we ended up not moving there. Uh, but I met her when she was three. In fact, she only recently has quit calling me Sapon instead of Carlon. Sapon means big frog. Um, the home they were in was really just a shell of a home. They, most Brazilians will begin to build the foundation and build up and then move in as soon as there's a roof and they'll finish all the finish work later. Well, they had no windows. They just had holes where the windows were. So they had poisonous snakes occasionally would get in. Frogs, I counted 27 frogs in the bathroom one time taking a shower. 27 different frogs, like not the same one 27 times. And so, you know, I don't mind frogs. My wife didn't care much for them when she had to take her shower there. But they began to call me Big Frog because I would imitate the frogs' noises and they were, they were little bitty. <laughs> so now they're in their mid-twenties and have their first child and she's decided to quit calling me Big Frog and I guess I'll quit calling him Juninho. Uh, but they are a wonderful young couple and they are now doing the two-year uh, preacher training there, finishing out their first year there now. And so soon they'll be seeking advice about where they might want to move. And I've already got a really good idea. <laughs> I've really uh, been thinking a lot about it and praying a lot about it. And I've already told them that I plan to talk to them, in fact, uh, tomorrow night. <laughs> We're going to have a conversation and uh, get the family involved, talking a little bit about where their future may be. Again, they sought me out for advice from an older preacher. And so uh, I took that well as well, since uh, they've known me most of their lives. Uh, but I just, it is such an encouraging thing to see these families that were, that were bedrocks, really, that have brought up children who are now dedicating themselves to the work all of the time. This, we didn't want this to be an American work in Brazil. We strove really hard to keep that from happening. And so we taught and we encouraged and we pushed. And only within the last five or so years have Brazilian churches caught on to the idea of supporting their own men and really using their, um, uh, using their, their resources for that. My father-in-law has been supported for a long time, but it's been by a myriad of churches sort of pooling their funds to help him and some of these other men, but often without the proper kind of support. But now you've got congregations who are focused on that, that are helping with these training schools, that have an invested interest in these young men when they come out and are already helping them to get going and to raise their families, serving the Lord as full-time evangelists. What a great blessing this phase of the Brazil work is. Uh, and so I'm so excited to be able to have a small hand in it uh, in encouraging these young men. And I may already have a couple of ideas who they might seek for their next two-year <laughs> preacher training as well. So hope they won't ask me too much because I'll give away too many opinions on that. This is where we were. You can see every corner of the house and patio was full. Uh, for 96 people, it's a huge farmhouse. There's a lot of room and yet Everywhere you turned, there was somebody sitting, even out on the back patio. It was too hot out there for me. I tried to find a place in the house every time. Plus, it was harder to hear out there. But most of the time, people go out there with their smaller children. But we jammed the place full, and it was a very uh, a profitable uh, three or four days together with that. Actually, I wanted to go back on that. Let me, uh, 
There's a couple there in the front of this, this big picture on the left. You can see a young man in sort of a grayish or brownish and a lady next to him in the black uh, blazer there. I met her for the first time on this trip. There are lots of people that I met for the first time on this trip. I've been studying with them since we moved back from Brazil. Um, her name is Hanieli. She's married to Vinicius, another good friend of mine. He's in the town of Brasilia where Tomas is from. Has, he's turned out to be an excellent uh, uh, strength for that congregation as well. But he met her, began studying with her, got her involved in the studies that I do weekly. So I've studied with her for about five or six years before meeting her. And they had a child about a year and a half ago, Vicente, and he's been on studying with them as well. So they sat down in front of me on, the, on Sunday morning and Vicente was over their, their shoulder and he's looking at me. And when I started talking, his face lit up. <laughs> he recognized my voice. He had been recognized my face, but wasn't sure when he heard my voice, he knew who I was. He's been studying with me since he was born, basically since he was in his mother's womb, as they've been studying with me weekly uh, on, uh, on Zoom and on, on Skype and things like that. And so it was really amazing to sort of see his response and then finally to meet Hanieli, who I'd heard so much about, but had never met in person. So as I said, there's, there's Ricardo thinking the bed's gonna fall on him. So I took this picture hanging down over the side to prove him that there was enough structure there that he was gonna be okay. Uh, some good friends up in the upper left corner there from our time down in Porto Alegre. There are one, two, three, four. There's actually six people in that shot. You can't see Hoochie who's in her mother's belly. That's Ruth uh, who's in her mother's belly there. They're expecting their third child. Everton is actually from Sao Paulo, is by marriage one of Patricia's cousins, but they've been down in Porto Alegre and waited out in the south of Brazil for a very long time. Our strength for that congregation down there and have really uh, been a great encouragement to us over the years. It was wonderful to get a chance to spend some time with them. In fact, the day he got his tickets months ago uh, to, to go to the studies, he sent me a text and said, I'm going to be there. Are you going this year? So it was wonderful to get to catch up with them. Down in the bottom right corner is Sandro, my, my best friend, and uh, his son, uh, that is Benjamin, who's there. Samuel is behind Aninha. You can't see him back there behind his mom. Uh, but they were just a great help to us. They got married, I think, two months after we left the town of João Pessoa. And so we never got to be around them when they were, since they've been married very much and as they're raising their children. But we've, every time we have an opportunity, we get in contact. He and I have made a commitment to stay in touch weekly now, uh, now that I'm back home. And so hopefully we'll get to do that. And in the middle is Talita. First time I've met her, a girl I've known for seven years. <laughs> also uh, online studies, Talita Scolari. You may have heard me talk about the Scolari family. I study with them Sunday mornings uh, every, every week before coming in here. And their story is tied to the story of Everton and Elisa, who are over on the, the left side of the picture there. Everton and Elisa, Elisa spe specifically, was in charge of receiving contacts that we would get from single women who wanted to study. And so this woman had written in and said she wanted to continue study. She'd been studying with some of our papers that we had written, some of our uh, uh correspondence courses that we had written, but she wanted to study in person. And so Dennis sent the contact to Elisa, who said, well, we've got a lady study group that just started. You're welcome to join us. And so she did. Uh, this was roughly 2015 when that study group began and when Zenaiji, Talita's mother, uh, got in touch. And then when we moved back to the States in 2016, that group needed a break. They needed to prepare another book and they asked if I could lead the study for the women uh, on Tuesday nights uh, during the next time while they were preparing for this other book. And so I began to do that. 
And it wasn't long before Zanaiji would always be one of the last ones off the call. She had a lot of questions she wanted to ask, and she finally said, would you mind studying with me and with my children? <laughs> In a separate study after this one. And I said, well, will your husband be okay with that? And I'm going to ask my wife to make sure she'll be okay with that. I don't typically just study with, with women, uh, but if you think he'll be fine with that and I'll talk to my wife, then I'd be glad to arrange something like that. She said, well, it'll be me and my children. And I don't think he'll mind, but I'll ask him. And so she did. And the next week she said, well, my husband is very religious. In fact, we have a church that meets in our home, but I've decided that I can't be a part of that anymore. And he's decided he's going to keep doing it. He's a very sincere man, but I believe from what I've been studying with you that he's wrong. But he says, it's not a problem if I want to study with you and bring the kids to study. And so we'll do that while he's doing his meeting in our, in our home. And so I began to study with them. This was about seven years ago now. And so every week I would have the study with the women and then I would have a separate study with Zanaiji and with her two daughters and son. So <laughs> I did that for a while and finally she said, my husband has decided he wants to join this study. I thought, okay, <laughs> so here we go. The questions are going to come. She said, and he's going to have a lot of questions. Like I said, he's a very good man, a very sincere man, but he's going to have a lot of questions. So I just wanted you to be prepared. So the next week he joined the study and I was waiting for the shoe to drop. No questions. <laughs> so the next week, waiting for the shoe to drop. About a month in, finally there were no questions until he said, okay, I've got some questions for you. And he prefaced it by saying, I don't think what we're doing in my home church is right. From what I've been studying with you, I can see that this, this, and this doesn't sound right. What's your suggestion? <laughs> and I said, well, do you know what the Bible teaches on those things? And so we began to look at those. Turned out, he just wanted to do what was right. He ended up dismissing the people that had been coming to his house for years. He was one of the, the elders or whatever of that group. It was a sort of a sect. He ended up dismissing them and saying, well, I think my, my wife and my kids and I would just like to meet and keep studying with you. And so we did that for a while. But there's something more to this, to this uh, story. He was a, he's an agricultural man by trade. He used to work in agricultural sales, but he had gotten a tip off that there was a man who needed a security guy on his farm and so he would drive off during the weeks and he would ride a horse around the farm to make sure that leopards weren't eating the, the cattle. <laughs> he would ride around with the shotgun and keep the leopards off the cattle, which you know, makes him a target, of course. But he'd be back on the weekends. And so we changed our study to the weekends so that he could participate. And then during the summer, when the kids were out of school, they would go and, and live on this farm with him. But there, he said, they don't have internet. So he was going to try to figure out some way for us to be able to continue studying. Now, he lives in a part of Brazil that the, the legend is they have a sun for every person there. It's very, very, very hot. And even at night, it's extremely hot, very deserty kind of area. And turns out he was able to arrange for a Wi-Fi signal. And so we began to study even during the summers while he was out there. And finally, I asked him how he was able to get a Wi-Fi signal. And he said... Well, there's a man who owns a gas station here. He usually shuts at night, but on one night a week, I've, I've asked him to leave the Wi-Fi signal on, even when the doors are locked. And so we park at this gas station and we sit in our car and listen. With the windows rolled up for fear of leopards and thieves and listening to Wi-Fi on, the, on their phone in this hundred some odd degree temperature with no air conditioning for an hour, an hour and a half a week. <laughs> It makes our headaches that keep us from coming to worship sometimes really pale in comparison. I was so impressed and so amazed, and I could see their solid desire in their heart to do what the Lord wanted them to do. When they finally got back to their hometown, after about a year and a half of studying in this way off and on, 
they began to recognize their need for, for baptism. They began to realize, wait a second, I don't think we're Christians. And they asked what they should do about it. And so I got in touch with my father-in-law and said, look, I'm in the United States. I can't really go and be with them and work through some of these issues they have. Are you willing to go? And of course he was. It was the next weekend. He was up there. Studied with them all weekend long. Just to give an idea of how far off the, the beaten path they were, he flew from Sao Paulo up to this place. It was a four and a half hour flight. That's all the way across to the middle of the country in Brazil. He got off at the main city and drove four hours from there. And it got so dark that he had to stop and get a hotel because <laughs> he still hadn't gotten where he was going. Another two hours before he would get there the next morning. He spent the weekend studying with them and then drove all that back. They were not baptized that weekend. They weren't ready. They still had questions. And so about three weeks later, they called him urgently and said, okay, now what, what can we do? We need it. And so my father-in-law quickly arranged to get back up there to them. He baptized Zenaiji, her husband Lucas, and their oldest daughter, Talita, on that trip. About four weeks ago, the youngest daughter, Sophia, was baptized. I think I may have told some of you when I came in that I had just studied with her. and her, She had been baptized that morning. Uh, Pedro, I've just learned since I've on my trip home, has moved from where the family is, is down in Santa Catarina. There are no brethren there. Um, he has not decided for the Lord yet. It's a very dangerous situation. We're asking for, for prayers for Pedro Scolari. But both of the girls and the mother and father have been baptized. So seven years I've known Talita. I finally got to meet her on this trip. It was amazing. She is now worshiping in the south with the people in Porto Alegre where Elisa is, the one who was her first contact uh, to get them studying anyway. She's going to school down there and worshiping with them. What a blessing. Um, when people are seeking for the Lord, they'll find a way. <laughs> uh, there's a eunuch that was in the middle of the desert and was able to find the Lord. These people were basically in the middle of the desert and found the Lord. There was a lot of servanthood demonstrated over these several days. Dennis and Benita had opened their home for these 96 people to come in. Benita was leaving in two days to, she's here in the States now to take care of her elderly father who's struggling, uh, having some real health issues, and she could not afford to get sick. She really couldn't afford to be giving all of her time and energy and efforts to all these people, but that's what she did. That's what they do as servants of the Lord. Every day there were volunteers in the kitchen. Talita happened to be on the day I took the pictures there, but you could go into the kitchen. The, the, the cooks, the ones who came and were helping prepare everything, they were never responsible for the dishes. Somebody always got in there and took care of it. There were volunteers that taught the younger children. They were doing some pretty deep study. It was over the heads of most of the younger children. Many of them participated anyway, but some of the really young ones, there were volunteers every day that would go and would teach them productive lessons as well, uh, off in a, one of the side rooms. And so it was amazing that these families got to come and bring their, their whole family together. And there were many, many other opportunities. Obviously, I didn't just walk around taking pictures everywhere, but there were lots and lots of great servant hearts over this uh, weekend and, and the carnival studies. I do want to call your attention to some specific needs that became known. I mentioned the, the devo devotionals and the private conversations. I want to talk about three private conversations. I've been given permission to talk about these situations with you all and ask for your prayers for these. One is with Evandro Hibero, who is known to you here, to many of you have had personal contact with him. Others of you have helped out in some way or another and certainly with prayers. He is going through a contested divorce. That is, his wife is trying to annul their marriage. She is not a Christian, or if she's a Christian, she uh, never demonstrated much faith. There's some question about her conversion. Her name is Giuliani, and she has tried to get an annulment. The justice, the, the judge there has said 
that he's not going to grant it. She has now appealed I mean, another four months or so where they tried to get an annulment. She wants to do it so that the Catholic Church will recognize that she's never been married so she can remarry. Um, he, of course, is worried about her soul. <laughs> and his prayers have been consistently, pray for her soul, pray for her repentance, that she'll recognize that what she's doing is not God's will. Obviously, he's lonely, would like to have his wife back, but he's concerned that she's going to make this mistake and then be unrecoverable from it. The good blessing that has come from this annulment being rejected is that the there had been sort of a barring between the, him and his wife the judge had put up while the annulment process was in. Since it got denied, he could now have contact with her again, and so he's been sending her messages. I encourage him to write a handwritten letter expressing the Bible and his desire uh, for her to do the right thing. Uh, he thinks that her family will intercept that. They probably will. But I think the discipline of doing that will show her how much he loves her. And he's also going to send her electronic forms of the same things that he's writing, trying to reach out and have her reconsider before she makes the mistake of actually, if a second annulment gets, uh, uh, gets rejected, then she'll have to file for divorce. And that can be, because it's now been a year and a half, that won't take long at all. And so he's prayerful that there's this window now where we can reach Giuliani. So be praying for her especially. If that weren't enough, he's been working for several years for uh, basically uh, the Department of Weights and Measures of Brazil. It's a government job. It's a really good job. And they're starting to scale back and cut back now. And he is one of the higher paid workers. So they're the first ones that are going to get cut. So they can bring in two or three that get paid a lot less to do the same job that one person was doing. There's been some threats, several people have already been laid off, and he's worried about that. Because of this situation with his wife, there are a couple, she put a restraining order out, that goes on his, on his record, and so when he tries to apply for a federal job, it says you've got a restraining order, they can't hire him. So he's not hireable right now at the same level he's been working for several years, for over a decade. And so he's concerned about where his uh, career is going. In Brazil, the unemployment rate is something that's unimaginable for us. It's not just like he can just go to McDonald's and get a $15 an hour job. It is very, very hard to find work. And so he's got a good career and he's possibly going to lose it. And so in the midst of all this other thing, things that are going on, he's concerned for his stability with that as well. So please keep Evandro in your prayers. Uh, he has asked for those specifically because he, he knows you and trusts you and uh, has had contact with you with some of you already. Our good friend Pedro uh, met him in uh, Porto Alegre. He is actually from Goiania. That's where he is again now. Um, his story I have told, you know of Pedro. He's the one who had been several years without work, accepted a job at a pharmacy. They said, we need you to lie about the date on this. And he said, well, I serve the Lord. I can't lie. They said, well, you're going to lose your job. And he lost his job that afternoon because he wouldn't lie for them after several years of not having work. The Lord has blessed him with a very good job again. His government job he had before he became a Christian, before he renounced all the things that he had had before, forced him to come back to work. <laughs> they said he had abandoned his post five years prior and they were going to put him in jail if he didn't come back to work. So he went back to work, getting the salary and all the upgrades he would have missed over those five years, all the uh, whatever the raises and things. And so he's got a very good job, but it meant he went back to his hometown where there were no Christians. And he ended up marrying a non-Christian girl that he met there who promised many things but has never really developed a taste for the gospel. He has got a daughter now who's three years old and he basically confessed that for about the last two years he and his wife have barely spoken. 
Of course, myself and my father-in-law, who were in the conversation with him, berated him for his non-Christian attitude, that there's no way he can allow that to happen. Uh, he confessed that he had never imagined the text that spoke about praying for your enemies would ever apply to your wife, but he felt like she was an enemy in his house. My father-in-law and I spent hours praying with him individually and together, crying with him, talking about the things that, the very tough things he would need to do. He left the studies early to go back home. His wife really didn't even know he was going to the studies. He basically told her, by the way, I'm on the way out to these studies. I'll be gone for three days. Just wrong attitudes all around on his part. He's a very dear friend, excellent brother in many respects, but has struggled with this situation. He put himself in with this marriage. I got a message from him as soon as he got back and said that he had set up a time to talk with his wife the next day. He wasn't going to wait. And he wrote me back after that, thanking me for the prayers and said the conversation went extremely well. That he first admitted that he had been wrong and that she gave her every right to be upset and for the things that she was feeling. And that they're planning on working on their marriage. And of course, our focus is on her and that daughter uh, serving the Lord and on him serving the Lord well. But he has asked for your prayers as well uh, as he goes through what's going to be very tough. The talk was difficult, but implementing the things they talked about is going to be even more difficult. And so Pedro Fakuri really needs your prayers. Um, he's an excellent, excellent young man who's really struggling. And so I, I beg your prayers on his behalf. Third family, and this family, unfortunately, my father-in-law, who deals with uh, really bad kidney stones, fortunately they weren't an issue while he was here, got really bad on the last day of the studies in, at Carnival. Uh, I've never seen him uh, in such a bad state. He has 17 stones in one kidney. Um, when we finally got him back to Sao Paulo and got him to his doctor, he was down four. He had passed four stones the time he was there for these studies. Yeah. He was in bad shape, so I ended up having to leave early, and he left early. I didn't get a chance to sit down with Guilherme and his family. They are people we met, had a, a great appreciation for when we lived down in the south of Brazil. They were in Curitiba, in Paraná at the time. And he made a very, looking back, unwise decision. We tried to encourage him not to make it, but they wanted to move, as they were beginning to have children, wanted to move out of the big city and into this interior area and farmland and raise his children off the land and be with his wife's family. There were no Christians where they were going, but he had plans. He's a great teacher. He's good at reaching out. He had exhaustively reached out in Curitiba and there were none there other than Evandro and a couple of others. And so he said, I think we can make this work. We're going to try. And we tried to discourage him, but he wouldn't be dissuaded. And so he went. They've been there for two going on three years. It turns out there was a blessing in disguise and they're going there. Her father, who was always super healthy, a military man, got sick with cancer and has died about a month ago. Uh, they were there for all of that and were able to help him. In fact, he was baptized before his death. So there turned out to be a blessing there, but now they're there. When he first decided to go, he is a physical therapist, worked for a pretty major company in Brazil doing physical uh, rehabilitation for their workers. He was supposed to work at a distance from this place that was three hours in the interior. He would come in once a week and do the physical part, and he would do consulting the rest of the week. The day after he moved there, the company called and said, no, we've changed our mind. We think that's going to be too hard for you, and so we're going to go with somebody else. So the income he was hoping to have fell through. Um, he began right away doing odd jobs. He's pretty intelligent and can pick up things. He actually was a uh, world-class chess teacher and chess player, 
uh, at a time when Brazil was trying to up their game in the in the chess international chess world, and so he began to do uh, online chess teaching and does that one on one. But they have very low income, and you can see in the picture there along the front they have four children uh, at this point. One very new, Guilherme and Gabriela are dear Christians. They are struggling though because there are no other brethren around them. The church is the two of them. And he admits that that has caused them to become much weaker in the faith. He and I have also set up to begin studying regularly uh, since I'm home now. But he has asked for prayers as their decisions. They are thinking the best thing to do is to move away from where they are in the country. I'm encouraging them to consider going to Campo Limpa Paulista. There are lots of young families there. There are lots of opportunities in Sao Paulo for work. That's why Sao Paulo is so big. Uh, and so I'm encouraging him to lean that way. Uh, I'm not sure where he's going to come down on that, but he certainly, he and his family uh, need your prayers. So please keep Evandro, Pedro, and Guilherme uh, in your prayers. If you'd like these slides, I'd be glad to get them to you later. If you would like to interact with these people in some way, Guilherme can probably do English, Pedro can do English, Evandro cannot, but I'd be glad to translate for you. Uh, if you think that would be helpful, I'd be glad to, to set up contact between these brethren and you. They certainly covet your prayers. Having left early from... Uh, from the carnival studies on that Tuesday. I got my father-in-law back and got medicated and was able to get to the doctors. Um, it meant I had an opportunity to teach in Iperó, the city where he lives. There's a small congregation there, a fairly large congregation, actually around 40 or 50. Uh, and so uh, didn't they, they discouraged me from taking my camera, my phone, uh, to the worship place because there had been some thieves that had been roaming the area. And so I didn't take my phone or my computer. So I don't have any pictures of the, of the meeting spot. But here's some pictures from around the farm where my father-in-law lives. That's him actually under the tree there taking a picture of the same rainbow I'm taking a picture of. That was a great welcome. That was the day after I got there. This beautiful tree in the middle is called an araucaria. That's my favorite tree in Brazil. It's like a big candelabra. Unfortunately, my wife says they're going to have to cut it down because it's uh, destroying the property there. These limbs are very weak and they fall off easily, so they may not, that tree may not be there very much longer. The girl in the middle is Lila, who has known me for eight years, but I have not known her. <laughs> and she was super excited to meet me. She's one of the girls that, because of the COVID protocol, was unable to come to the studies. But after the studies were over, they had all tested negative, so they came out to Iperol. Uh, she and the three people on the on the bottom corner there came to be with me on the last day I was in Ipiro and actually took me to the airport for my trip to Aracaju. Lila is from Jequié, that little town where I had been going a lot. And she told me she had been dying to meet me for the last five years. She's known me for eight and that I was instrumental in her conversion. <laughs> uh, wow. I did a lot of work in Jekia. I went there often before, uh, before I got married. And after our marriage, I went several times individually there to do, to do work among these saints and did a lot of teaching. And a lot of those people are involved in the studies I've been doing online. And apparently Lila is one of those who I never even knew was there and listening. Sometimes she couldn't be there online, but she would get the recordings of those and would listen to those. And she said it was listening to my teaching all those years that it convinced her of her need to become a Christian. That's an amazing thing to think about. And so she was so excited to meet me. In fact, she was sad because she thought after the COVID that she wasn't going to get to meet me. So they made a special trip out to Iperol so that we could get to know each other. Wonderful young lady um, and seems to be a very uh, strong young Christian. What an asset to that small group in Jequia. In the bottom picture are our good friend Agida, who Patricia has known for a long time from Sao Paulo, who also lived with us down in Porto Alegre, down in the south. 
and that's Richard Chenis behind her, who is an American living in Atlanta, who had gone down there to teach some lessons. And because of the COVID protocols, he also was unallowed uh, to participate. And so they all came out uh, to meet with me. Richard and I were flying out of the same airport roughly at the same time. And so we got to spend the afternoon together, which was really good. I didn't think I was going to get to see him at all. And so I got to be with, with those wonderful saints, and I got to teach a lesson that Wednesday night at the congregation there. Then on the Thursday, I flew out to Aracaju for a very long weekend, and this is where uh, I flew into the middle of summer near the equator. Uh, and so uh, I was received there by Andre and Idiani, and you can't see Elena, she's in her belly there still, and by young Alisi uh, on the bottom right there, who's eight. She was born uh, not long after uh, we left from Aracaju. Aracaju is where Joel, our Joel, was born uh, in Sergipe there. And so we got to see these old friends, Sandy and Hikarch, uh, and you can't see Nicole also, who's in Sandy's belly. There's two young girls that are about to come into the world there. Uh, Andre was making sure my room was clean of mosquitoes before I got in there to sleep. He got his electric tennis racket out to smack them all and uh, get that nice fried mosquito smell for me before going to bed. Uh, so, but uh, just a wonderful reception from this young couple. It is amazing to think about. We moved to Aracaju in 2000, at the end of 2010, beginning of 2011. And the church that was there when we moved there is really no longer there. Uh, there. One couple who we were really close with moved to the south and then divorced had some, so many issues. We encouraged them not to move to the South where there were no brethren where they went and they ended up just falling apart and are now divorced and living, I think, states apart. Another couple uh, would go home often on the weekends to Bahia where they were from. There were no Christians there. They would miss a lot of worship because they were going back home on the weekends. They ended up moving back home. Uh, they were not two of the strongest people in the congregation. I doubt they're serving the Lord. I haven't heard anything from them in years and they're raising two small children now. Uh, off in Bahia, not near any brethren. Um, there were some others who would come and go while we were there. We were trying to build them up and strengthen them. They fell away. The small congregation in a neighboring town have all gone back to the churches they had all come out of. Um, just a horrible thing to think about. But these two couples, about a year after we were there, began to study with us. They were a contact through another young man who uh, never amounted to much in terms of, of, of our study, who actually visited us when we were in South Carolina and became a Christian, but then went back to Aracaju and, and fell away right away. But they were contacts of his. And I began studying with all four of them. They began coming to worship and I began having studies with each couple separately and then sometimes together. For about a year, a year and a half, we lived there a total of three years in Aracaju. So after about a year, they, uh, they came to us in the same week, unknown to each other, and began to talk to us about their spiritual situation. They were raised in the very Pentecostal Assembly of God Church. Their parents had been involved for generations. Uh, Idiani's uncle was one of the major uh, pastor presidents of this place. And so they were of the pillars. And for them to begin to think about leaving that place, it was already bad enough that they were studying with us. They would study and worship with us in the morning, then go to worship there in the afternoons. Their parents were already upset about it. But the one couple came and said, we can't go back. We, we just can't stomach what they're teaching there after we've been studying with you. We can't do it. And so we want to be baptized. We know we need that. But we want to show fruits of repentance first. We're going home today and telling our parents, we're getting baptized. We're not coming back here. And these are the reasons why. And then we'll come and get baptized. 
And so they they left. I was trying to encourage them, well, let's go ahead and baptize. <laughs> said, nope, we want to make sure we do this right. And so they left. A couple days later, before they even uh, had gotten a chance to, to get through all they wanted to with their parents, the other couple came and said, we've been meeting with you all for about a year now, and we just started thinking about something. Maybe we shouldn't be taking the Lord's Supper. <laughs> and I said, well, what made you come to that conclusion? They said, well, we don't think we're Christians, and that's for Christians. I said, well, I would agree with your, with your decision. I wanted you to make the decision. I didn't make it for you, but I agree with what you're saying. But why have you come to that conclusion? They began to lay out why they didn't think they were Christians and what they needed to do. And they said, but first we need to tell the people at our church we're not coming back. <laughs> so they came back the next day and were baptized. And then the following day, the other couple who originally had come to me were baptized. And they are the church that's left there. <laughs> Some people uh, had accused me of taking too long to study with them before baptizing. It took me over a year to, to get through. But I wanted to make sure they were grounded. I wanted to make sure that I told them, look, once we leave from here, you guys need to continue strong. You, you can't be here because we're here. You need to be here because of the Lord. And so I worked through getting them as grounded as I could, teaching them how to study the Bible, teaching them uh, about the Lord and what they needed to do. And they came to the conclusions and they've remained strong. It's such an encouragement to be with them. There are struggles. They admitted that it's been really hard. COVID was really hard. There were the only two people there and they couldn't come together. Let me mention another family. Uh, the family that we originally stayed with, uh, Cesar and Sonia and their two children when we first moved down there, are still technically, I guess, members of the congregation there, although they have done everything they can to distance themselves. They didn't want to meet with us when we were there. Uh, there were opportunities and they chose not to. Um, he basically said, in no uncertain terms, I can't imagine worshiping with somebody who voted for this candidate. <laughs> it's very much a Trump-Biden situation in Brazil. They had a Bolsonaro who was Trump and a guy named Lula who would be there, Biden. And he just said, I can't imagine worshiping with somebody who voted for Lula. And so I can't do it. Well, I told Andre, the same thing that I think Andre had already told him, well, he's thinking of the wrong kingdom. <laughs> uh, there is no reason that should keep people from worshiping together. So please be praying for Cesar and his family. It has been tough. Um, and he has taken a very hard line and has distanced himself from the rest of the congregation. Andrea Iriani, Sandy, and Hikart are expecting daughters. They have made a commitment to keep strong with each other. During COVID, they weren't allowed to meet together. Uh, just by, by law, they weren't allowed to. So they've only been, over the last year, meeting in each other's homes. Uh, and they uh, do that. They can set the time when it's convenient. Some of them have work on Sunday, so they can switch it around. Andre is a nurse, uh, which was really helpful because uh, after we got together on Friday and then had some long studies on Saturday, Sunday morning I woke up and started feeling dizzy and ended up in the emergency room uh, with very, very high blood pressure. Um, we had been eating a lot of very salty food, which I didn't realize was very salty. It had been over 100 degrees, over 90 degrees at least, since my arrival there. I was sleeping, I told my wife, with a fan in my face and sweat dripping down my back every single night. And so I didn't sleep very well. A combination of all of those things just meant that my health took a dive there. Fortunately, Andrea was able to get me to the emergency room. Since he's a nurse, he knew everybody there. He's actually now working on the, the information technology side, so he knew everybody on the inside as well, was able to get me through pretty quickly uh, at the free clinic, so didn't charge me anything to start getting my blood pressure down and my dizziness taken care of. Uh, 
the prayers were answered because I did get to spend the afternoon uh, teaching and, and worshiping with them uh, that Sunday. And so we're very thankful about that. And on Monday before my trip out, we went out to just sort of see some of the sites in Aracaju. It's a, it's a wonderful place right at the equator. That huge bushy looking thing there. I wish I could really uh, convey the size of it. It's about, I don't know, a fourth of a city block maybe. That's a, that's a cashew tree. Some of you have talked about that the cashew is actually just a little flower pot on the bottom of the, the fruit. These fruits were all really dried up. This is a public park, so all the good ones had already been taken. This is the only one we could find and one other that was even smaller. The cashew nut there is the size of the fruit. Normally the fruit's about the size of a pear or a really big, a really big pear. So that's, you can see by his hand how small that really is. That's a cashew nut on the, the bottom there. The town of Aracaju is named after Araras and Cajus. Uh, Araras are macaws and Cajus are cashews. And so they have a mock-up of a cashew that's got the face of a macaw. It's an arara cashew. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. You can sort of see what an arara, what a cashew is supposed to look like, uh, even though the colors aren't right. So anyway, uh, I got to spend this long, encouraging weekend there uh, with the brethren in Aracaju. And since they're all expecting uh, right now, and, and Andre Nidiani already raising an eight-year-old, we spent the weekend doing about seven hours worth of studies on family. Uh, and so it's really, really uh, exciting to get to, to work through those lessons. I had forgotten that I put those lessons together once we moved away from there. And so they had never studied through those lessons with me. So it's really fitting. I'd intended originally to do the Isaiah lessons with them, but family seemed much more uh, on point. Which brings me to my point about the couple, Luis and Jessany, who I'll be studying with, uh, talking with and studying with tomorrow night, who are going to be looking soon for a place to go and have just begun their own family as well. Jessani is from Jekia, which is about six hours in one direction from, from Aracaju. And Luis Juninho is from uh, Pernambuco, which is about six hours the other direction. So this is almost an exact midpoint for them. I think it would be a great place for them to encourage these young families, to be encouraged themselves. Aracaju was a place that was very, very difficult to leave because I had studies all the time. Andre is just a natural talker. He'll talk to anybody and he'll bring them to study with you. And I had studies all week long, just from contacts that he brought me. I know Luis will find plenty of work to do in Aracaju, and they'll be a great encouragement for these two couples. It's a small work right now, but I think with Luis and Jessany's help and building these two couples up, uh, Hikard and Sandy, you can see by their faces, they don't know strangers either. And so there's a lot of opportunity just in the immediate circles from these two couples, um, much less from just a town that's just open to talking about the gospel. And so I'm excited to be encouraging Jessany and Luis to go there, accept your prayers on behalf of this work in Aracaju and, and those folks as well. Being with the people there in uh, Carnival meant I had access to a lots of brethren from lots of other places. Uh, a lot of people already asking me next year, can you come here after Carnival? So I've already got plans to go to Rio next year. There's a small work being done there. Oh, there may have been food. That might have been part of the problem with my blood pressure. I didn't put the salty things up there. There was pizza. There were pastels. There were other things that were salty. We were eating carne du sol, which is sun meat. It's basically sun-dried meat in salt, uh, which, you know, I didn't even think about. And that was the night before I got really high blood pressure. Uh, but you can see there was plenty to eat. Uh, there were servants in the lunch line every day as we would feed all those 96 people that had come. Luan showed up one morning from the padaria with uh, eggs and onions for whatever was going on for that day. When I got to Andrea Nirian's house, it was two in the morning. 
and there was a full spread on the table. That's suku de acerola. That's acerola juice. That's the West Indies cherry. And that red, red drink on there in the, in the middle photo up top with Andre and a heart-shaped ham and cheese cake. Uh, really, really good. Ham and cheese pie, perhaps, better way to say it. At the bottom is guava juice right before she mixed it up. I wanted to get a good picture of that so you can see all the guava pulp on there. And I asked, are you making this from frozen ju juice mix? She said, why? It's all right here. It was all around them and they would just go out and, and get the, the fresh juice and make it. Acai, I had that for my son's sake. That was his favorite treat while we were there. Acai is a frozen uh, treat made from a fruit that grows in palm trees and is excellent. You can see I had plenty of bananas and strawberries and whipped cream and other stuff in it as well. Probably didn't also help the blood pressure. And then I introduced our friend Richard to acerola with orange juice. That is the West Indies cherry orange juice mix. It is the best drink in the world. And acerolas, they're about the size of a cherry, have 60 times the vitamin C of an orange. And so that juice there is a, is a immuno booster uh, for sure. And uh, Richard looked like he needed one, so <laughs> I got him one. There was food, but there certainly was a spiritual feast, and that's what we were there for. Uh, I'm so thankful to be able to share these stories with you, these people with you. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. What I really hope you'll see as we're looking through all of this is a truth that, that Paul has pointed out in Romans chapter 1, that the gospel is the power of God, salvation to all who believe for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You can see how much these people have influenced each other all over the country because of their faith, because of their willingness to sacrifice, because of their, their giving nature. How much you got to be a part of that as well by, by sending me, by allowing me to go, by the fellowship you've had with some of them in prayers and conversations over the years. And I pray that will only continue I am so thankful to be able to be a part of, of such a good work as what's going on in Brazil. So thankful for you and the support that you've given me, the encouragement you've given me in that. I do want to end by offering an opportunity for those who don't know the Lord to study with us. Our desire is to share the Lord with anyone who will listen. If it means we've got to go to Brazil to do it, we'll do that. But there's plenty of people right here who certainly will listen if we're willing to talk about the Lord. Let's open our hearts to them and open our mouths as Joshua was told to do, be speaking the law of the Lord to these people who need to hear it so badly. If you're one of them, we want to study with you. We want to encourage you to make the right decision. The decision that Andre and Iriani, that, that Sandy and Hikart made, that came out of the religious world they were a part of. They were comfortable there, very comfortable, because they realized they couldn't stomach anymore the lies that they were being taught once they'd heard the truth. We want to share with you the truth that'll convict you. If we can help you do that today, let us know. If you are a Christian already and you're struggling to serve, so many of them were struggling. They were open. I was open with them. We hugged. We cried together. We prayed together. We made commitments together. We saw Joshua doing that in our class today. He renewed the covenant with the people. Let's renew our covenant together. We want to hold your hands up. We want to encourage you to serve. We're going to sing a song in just a moment to encourage your obedience. While we're doing that, if you have a need, make it known by coming here to the front. Let's sing together.